If you would turn in your Old Testament to Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 5. Isaiah 53, 3 through 5. These are familiar words, and I've stopped short of the, the famous one. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. But I'd like to read 3 through 5. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities, and he carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We have great interest and great admiration, all of us do in people who have sacrificed themselves for others. I think particularly we remember people who have sacrificed themselves for others in the cause of, of patriotism. And there are heroes by the scores that we remember for these sacrifices. We can think of many military situations throughout the, the centuries, really, uh, where a few made a choice to sacrifice themselves for the many. And uh, I think of, for instance, a very famous battle in two battles, but the first one being 480 B.C., the Battle of Thermopylae. This was when 300 Spartan soldiers were facing 10,000 Persian regulars. The Persian Empire was the greatest military power in the world and they took to a, a, a mountain pass in a very good defensible place and 300 people, 300 men faced down 10,000 soldiers trying to hold the Persians off so that the Greek army would have time to come and assemble and be able to meet the Persians. Every one of those men but one died that day in the, uh, the cause of Greek democracy. And Greece won the war. And the Battle of Thermopylae is a very important battle if you know Greek history. I think in our own country, there's probably not a better example here on our own soil than the Battle of the Alamo. In 1836, there were 186 men, uh, Texans, and then a group of, of Tennesseans, Texans led by a man named Jim Bowie. The Tennesseans that came to, to help them, reinforce them, led by a man, yes, there was a real person named Davy Crockett. And he actually was a senator from Tennessee, and he was at the Alamo. 
186 men faced 5,000 Mexican troops and held them at bay for 13 days, um, and all of them died, except for two. Now, can you imagine what is going through Jim Bowie's mind as they are in the Alamo is, you know, it's just wide open around it. It's a a fort. It, It was a mission that had been turned into a fort. Can you imagine when he sees the Mexican army 5,000 strong. I've, I've seen, and this week as I looked it up, I've seen um, computer simulations of what that looked like. And they literally came and they surround, the columns surrounded the Alamo on every side. Can you imagine? And, and as they're a great distance off, there's still a chance to leave, to run. I think what he was thinking is we're for sure all going to die right here. And they did. But, but you know, the, the interesting thing in both of these famous battles is, is those people saw it coming. Those people knew what it was going to be, and they still chose to stay and to sacrifice for their freedom or their independence. And, and to this day, we, we still honor them. And they saw it coming. I cannot even say with sufficient gratitude the the wonder in that our Savior Jesus Christ saw it coming and chose the nails. He he saw it coming. I mean that, that is the meaning of the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And he chose the nails, he chose the cross, he he chose death In the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ is sweating blood. And remember what he asked the Father three times? Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. If there's any other way, Father, three times, ending with the the words, finally, nevertheless, Father, the last time, not my will, but yours be done. And, and what Jesus saw coming there is put in the language of a cup. What is this cup? Let this cup pass from me. Jesus sees a cup on its way to him. When well, Matthew chapter 20, James and John and their mother approach Jesus and basically are asking him, when, when the, the, the great kingdom is inaugurated, your, your messianic kingdom, w- would you give my sons, James and John, uh, high positions in the kingdom? Could one of them sit on your right hand and can one of them sit on your left hand? And Jesus turned and asked them a question. He said, are you able, looking at the two, Are you able to drink from the cup that I must drink? And they said, we sure are. (laughs) And Jesus, under his breath, said, right. Now, that's not in the text. No, actually what Jesus said is, is, yes, you shall drink from it. And what is this cup that Jesus saw coming? What is the the cup that they're going to have to drink? The cup is suffering. That's what it is. 
And, and, and it must be said that if you and I are, are going to know Jesus Christ through faith in what He's done, if you and I are going to be disciples, our followers of the Son of God, if you and I are going to live with Him and for Him, we will drink the cup of suffering as well as the goblet of the new wine of joy of grace. But I'll tell you some good news tonight. It's not an identical cup that Jesus drank from. Yes, it is suffering. It, yes, it will be in his name. But Jesus drank of a cup that no one else can drink from. This is the cup of God's judgment God's wrath. This is the cup, and here's the way our text puts it, of punishment. Let this cup of, if there's any other way, let this cup of your punishment pass from me. This is the cup of punishment for our sins, and Jesus saw it, and he drank it, and that's Good Friday, and he was stricken by God, smitten by God, smote by God, and afflicted by God. And that, folks, is the agony of the cross. And it was perfect, furious, and eternal punishment on our behalf. Can you believe what he has done? For us, Jesus saw it, and he chose it anyway. And tonight, Good Friday, thank you for coming to church on Friday. Tonight we see it, don't we? We see it. And I think if we're honest, on the one hand, like Isaiah 53 says, on the one hand, we, we almost want to hide our faces from it. I remember one of my daughters when she was around 10 years old as we were reading the, the story that probably the same one Lee was reading earlier of the crucifixion and, and she blurted out, Daddy, it's so bad. It hurt Jesus so bad. I could have never put it better myself. And on the one hand, we just kind of want to hide our faces from this. But on the other hand, there is something within us that just wants to stare in awe-struck wonder that God would do this for us. Amazing love. How can it be that Thou, my God, wouldst die for me? And I appreciated that prayer. Why, why would you die for people that hate you? Why would you come to earth for people that are rebelling against you? Why would you do that? The table in front of us tonight is in front of the cross. And it always is. And I say to you, and to my own soul, see it. Jesus saw it. You see the cross in all its agony, in its hanging, in its gasping, excruciating, and no know tonight that he could see it and know 
that he knew it was punishment. My punishment. Your punishment. Like no one had ever been punished before. Like a cup no one's ever going to be qualified to drink from again. Of punishment. And finally, remember that Jesus knew the Old Testament. The Son of God, yes, he knew the Old Testament. And Jesus knew Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 5. And he knew he was the one written about in this passage that we read earlier. He knew that he was the one to fulfill this passage. And he knew the forgiveness that it would bring and the relationship that it brings. You realize that through the cross, all we do is, all we bring to God is our sin. Nothing in our hands do we bring. He takes our sin. He is punished. He drinks the cup. He is punished in our place. And what we get is a relationship with God in return. Isn't that beautiful? He knew the forgiveness that it would bring and and he chose the nails. He chose to be pierced. So let me read Isaiah 53, 3 through 5 again. And just kind of enter into this with me based on what we've, we've looked at. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces... He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities, and he carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We are healed. That is Good Friday. That is communion. Praise his name. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you saw the cup. And you drank it for us. Thank you that in your agony, in your substitutionary punishment and death, you have set us free. You've healed us. You've given us new life. And tonight, Jesus, we don't just remember you as a hero. We worship you as God the Son. And we are so filled with gratitude that we cannot adequately express it except to call it love and to say thank you and to praise you. Lord, we pray that around this table tonight in the backdrop of Calvary that you would yet again call something to connect in our minds and hearts about the reality of sin dealt with, of punishment taken, and grace received. 
And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.